Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, January 27th. Today marks International Holocaust Remembrance Day as designated by the United Nations General Assembly. We discuss the significance of this day and explore what more needs to be done to educate young people about the truth and atrocities surrounding the Holocaust. Science Up Front is a group comprised of scientists, researchers and healthcare experts who've chosen January 27th as National Kids in Vaccines Day. We speak with Dr. Catherine Smart, a pediatrician and president of the Canadian Medical Association, about the importance of inoculation to keep our kids healthy. Then it's our monthly conversation with Deborah Yedlin, president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. This time out, we're talking about the strategies that local businesses can use to promote diversity and inclusion among their staff. And finally, Calgary's YW wants to help women of all ages to become more financially confident in 2022. We hear details of ongoing practical programs taking place in the city, which focus on financial literacy to help Calgary women reach their goals. Today is International Holocaust Remembrance Day as designated by the UN and marks the anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz-Birkenau. To talk about the importance of this day, we're joined this morning by Jessica Burke, Director of Community Training at the Centre for Israel and Jewish Affairs. Good morning to you, Jess. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. Can you give us a quick little lesson on the Holocaust? I mean, obviously, we can't do that in this short time, but we hope everyone has the general knowledge, but we know, unfortunately, that's not the case. Not everyone understands exactly what happened. That's correct. In fact, the overwhelming majority of millennials have not heard about the Holocaust. And if they have, they predict that the death toll was under 2 million. So the Holocaust is defined as all anti-Jewish discrimination between 1933 and 1945, which started with anti-Jewish laws like not being able to ride public transit, not being able to work in the public sector, not being able to intermarry, and being functionally segregated, which escalated to public humiliation, slowly the removal of Jews from economic life, public school systems, public hospital systems, eventually to forced labor camps, concentration camps, and what we know to be mass extermination death camps. Uh, between 1933 and 1945, over 6 million Jews and 11 million people total uh, died at the hands of the National Socialist regime through starvation, torture, and through uh, mass shootings and, and gassings as well. And when we're discussing the Holocaust, it's very important that we use specific language and don't euphemize that these folks passed away. And so as such, this day is meant to be partially commemorative in addition to raising education and awareness so that a genocide like this, like this never happens again. It's arguably one of the most well-documented genocides in human history. Jessica, it's interesting that you, you gave the stat about, you know, how many, uh, you know, the, of the younger folks out there who don't have the correct information or, or have some kind of a, a misinformed view. Are we teaching enough about the Holocaust in Canada? Uh, you know, are we not doing enough in schools? Because it was my experience growing up that, you know, it's a couple of years ago that it was a, a, a big part of the curriculum. So luckily, it is a part of almost all curriculums in Canada. You know, we have amazing Holocaust educators, including at the Calgary Jewish Federation and the Edmonton Jewish Federation, that are doing wonderful work. There's a partnership happening right now between the Calgary Public Library and the Edmonton Public Library. Certainly, this information is being taught. Um, in, the sp- in the span of global affairs, there's a lot to learn about in terms of uh, global history. And we have a lot of, of newcomers, a lot of different histories to be considered in the Canadian context. One of the issues with not knowing about the Holocaust is actually the dwindling count of our survivor population. We have so few Holocaust survivors left. 
And as firsthand testimony becomes less and less available to us, things like Holocaust denial and Holocaust distortion um, become more rampant. And so in addition to combating general lack of knowledge and education surrounding the Holocaust, we're also up against denial, which is a whole other battle within itself. And, you know, it is 80 years now since the Holocaust began and and anti-Semitism, it is still a threat today. So how do we, how can we fight hate and win? Will there ever be an end to this, do you think? I'm optimistic that there will be an end. I believe that all oppressions are interlinked. I have seen a great amount of allyship in the past few years uh, between the Jewish community and, and all other communities. And so I do remain optimistic that we will see an end to, to this form of hatred. I think education absolutely is our path forward in terms of seeing some sort of end, end to this. In terms of anti-Semitism existing presently, you know, anti-Semitism didn't, uh, didn't begin with the Nazis. There were these stereotypes about Jewish people that had existed for years that informed public opinion and, and made the Nazis quite easy in, in what it was that they wanted to do. And I think it's important that folks know that anti-Semitism was not eradicated after the Holocaust. And so we still are up against misinformation, xenophobia, racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, anti-Indigenous racism here in Canada. And so in combating all these forms of discrimination, knowing our history is extremely important to ensure that this never happens again to any group. Jessica, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm wondering, is this a, when we talk about the misinformation and, and maybe just not having the legacy that it, it deserves as far as, you know, keeping it into the education system and making sure people are in the know, is this a Canada-specific issue or is this something that is an issue across the globe? This is something that's absolutely an issue across the globe. In fact, we see these statistics exacerbated south of the border in the U.S. And so Canada is a great place for any minority to live and arguably one of the one of the safest places um, but we're not immune to anti-Semitism. Canada also has quite a racist history with quotas on Jewish university students participating with the Christie Pitts riots, uh, with none is too many, a vote of 937 uh, Jewish refugees seeking asylum, trying to enter Canada uh, and being turned away and told none is too many to ultimately go back to, to Europe where they were persecuted and, and murdered. So we're not immune, and I think understanding through the Canadian-specific context is extremely important, but I would argue that this is certainly certainly a global phenomenon. Jess, today we're commemorating the victims of the Holocaust particularly, but from your perspective, how can we find best the stories of the victims, whether they're still with us or not, to share the stories of survivors and what happened? What are some of the best resources that you can direct people to? That's an amazing question. Thank you so much. You can go to cija.ca, C-I-J-A.ca slash we remember the World Jewish Congress. Uh, we are the Canadian affiliate to the World Jewish Congress, and they have information online about how you can participate in the We Remember campaign, which is quite global. You can also hear the online survivor testimonies at the Yad Vashem, uh, which is the Holocaust Official Authority Museum and in Jerusalem, Israel. You can also hear from the United States Holocaust Museum, and we have a really great Holocaust Education Center here in Toronto, as well as in Calgary and across the country. So you can tune in and listen to survivors. And it's also worth noting that the Calgary Tower and the Calgary Public Library will both be lit up as part of a public illumination of infrastructure of government buildings, legislatures, uh, and well-known structures across the country. And so you'll be able to actually see the buildings lit up, which is certainly a conversation starter. Yep, very, uh, yeah, that's what it's all about, is having those conversations. Sometimes they're difficult, but particularly with the kids, you know, uh, 
having that open dialogue, and today would be a great day to get that ball rolling. Thank you so much for your time, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. Jessica Burke, Associate Director, Community Training and Campus Advocacy at the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, online at cija.ca slash we remember. Important day that we do remember and, and keep talking about it with our kids so that things like this don't ever happen in our world again. Absolutely. And in an effort to boost vaccination rates for kids, Science Up Front, a group of scientists, researchers, and healthcare experts, has launched National Kids and Vaccines Day. With details on the effort to move the needle on the vaccinations for our young population. We're joined this morning by Dr. Catherine Smart, pediatrician and president of the Canadian Medical Association. Good morning to you, Dr. Smart. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, As of January 15th, data showing under 40% of Alberta children have received their first doses. That compares to nearly 48% in BC. Why do you think Alberta is lagging behind? I think we've seen challenges in Alberta throughout the vaccination campaign for COVID where the numbers have often lagged behind the rest of the country. But I think the real message today to families is it's not too late to get your child vaccinated. You know, COVID-19 and the bad outcomes from that are now vaccine preventable in kids five and up. And I'd really encourage parents who are listening, if they have questions, to tune into our event today, uh, but to get their child booked and to get them immunized because it's your best protection. You mentioned, uh, Dr. Smart, you know, parents, if they have questions, because certainly a nine-year-old can't go and just sign up and get their vaccine. So what is holding parents back from getting their children vaccinated? Well, you know, it's such an interesting question because what we see, of course, is the vast majority of Canadians are vaccinated themselves. So obviously some of these are parents. In fact, many of them are parents who themselves have been vaccinated against COVID-19. But what we find often in pediatrics is parents are more hesitant or unsure about health choices around their children than for themselves. And I think that's, you know, natural Mm -hmm. because as parents, we always want to do the right thing. And we worry more about our kids' health than perhaps our own. So I think sometimes parents struggle a bit with just any uncertainty or any feeling like, well, what if it's the wrong thing to do? What if there's any harm? But I think what's what's excellent right now with where we find ourselves today is we've given out over 8 million doses of this vaccine in North America to kids in this age group, very few adverse events, and it's giving excellent protection against hospitalization and severe disease. So I think parents can really feel confident that it's the right thing to do. Okay, so today, National Kids and Vaccines Day. Was this launched specifically because of COVID or are there other vaccines that you're, you know, you're really trying to make parents aware of and understand better? Yeah, I think this event is really about the COVID vaccine because we we knew that the numbers in kids this age were lagging behind where we wanted to see and lagging behind the uptake we've seen in older youth and adults. So we really wanted to put together an event to make that information accessible for parents across Canada with experts in pediatric infectious disease, pediatrics, pain controlling kids. So it's kind of, you know, one-stop shopping. You can tune into our event tonight and you're going to hear all your questions and maybe even questions you haven't thought of yet answered by a whole panel of experts. And we're really hoping that will help move the needle on getting more children protected. Getting the children protected is great. And of course, if you're like, like me, I've got a family of, you know, with four kids, everybody who's eligible has had the shot. But when I get them there to have that shot, sometimes it's, it is a bit of a battle, whether it's a, a COVID shot or a flu shot. Any advice to parents to kind of ease the nerves of their kids as they're taking them in for their vaccination? 
That's such an important question. And I, I do think that fear of, you know, what's the experience going to be like, or perhaps just the child expressing, well, mom or dad, I don't want a needle, can, can sometimes just lead to that hesitation. So I think what's important for parents to know is there's lots you can do. Um, so I would start with sort of how you set it up. You know, it's really important for kids to feel like they're empowered and they have some control over a potentially scary experience. So I think being really honest with them about the importance of the vaccine, how it's there to protect them from getting sick, it also is going to help protect their family. So kids kind of feel like, yeah, this is something I should do. Um, explain to them what it's going to be like, letting them make some choices about what it's going to be in terms of an experience. You know, do you want to bring your iPad with some headphones to listen to music or watch your favorite video? Do you have a stuffed animal you want to bring? Those types of things can make kids feel like they have a bit more control. And then a reward after, right? Is there something as a family you could do that would be fun that the child can look forward to that's a bit of a motivator and also just recognizes their bravery and, and the fact that they were able to do it. And then for kids that have needle pain or, or even if you just want that bit of reassurance for them, it's not going to be painful. There's a product called Emla, which you can buy over the counter at any pharmacy and it's a patch that has a, a cream inside of it that numbs the skin and it'll dull the feeling of the needle itself so it just takes away that sharp poke um, and sometimes that's really what kids are worried about so I think when you put all those things together you can actually make it an empowering experience for your child. I don't like to highlight misinformation usually but I know there's been so much of it through this pandemic is that part of what's holding people back too is it not just maybe you know they're not quite sure but more so the actual misinformation that is out there I think that's been a huge challenge for sure in in both the adults that remain unvaccinated and I'm sure right now for some parents who haven't yet gotten their child vaccinated that is part of it you know, you read this information online, and I think for a lot of people, it creates this nagging feeling of, well, what if this is right? And what the doctor's telling me is wrong. So I, I think that that does create some uncertainty. Um, but, you know, this vaccine has been given to millions of people. We've seen a strong recommendation from NACI, which is our immunization group in Canada. You know, as they've seen more and more evidence, they've upgraded their recommendation now from something for parents to consider to saying strongly you should have your child vaccinated. And I think that's for two reasons. You know, one is with Omicron, we're just seeing so many more children infected and more children needing to be hospitalized because the numbers are just going up. So that's concerning when that's preventable. Um, and we're just seeing how effective the vaccine is and what an excellent safety record it has. So I'd really encourage parents to get their information from people who are actually experts in child mm -hmm. health. You know, this is what we do. We care about you and your family. We want you to have the right information. And that's why a day like today and our event tonight is so important. It's interesting. We just had a uh, text in Dr. Smart that says, show me the risk of a child getting COVID. But it is real and, and beyond the child. And we obviously, nobody wants their child to be sick. Nobody wants their child to have to go to the hospital. The fact is that the, the, if you're carrying COVID, as we know, you can pass it on to maybe even an elderly relative. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what's been difficult is is people are comparing COVID in children to COVID in the elderly. And yes, of course, if you're young, you're, you know, the outcomes aren't the same as if you're 80. And, and thank goodness, you know, it would be horrible if this was an illness that was making many, many children who got it ill. Your average child that gets COVID will do fine. But the bottom line is some will not and some will need to be hospitalized and some will end up in ICU. And we can't predict which those children are. We know at least a third of kids who have those severe complications were completely healthy before. Mm -hmm. So all infectious diseases in children are uncommon to make them very sick. You know, kids 
unfortunately, on average, do well with things. But the whole point of all the preventative things we do, routine childhood vaccines, you know, the COVID vaccine, giving your child vitamin D, wearing a seatbelt, all these are things to prevent that rare possibility because we just don't want that to happen to anyone when we have a safe alternative. Doctor, how do we join in with Science Up First hosting this live virtual town hall event tonight for kids, parents, guardians, educators? How do we get in on it? So you just go to their website, www.scienceupfirst, and on there you'll see a link to register for the event. It's going to be, you're in Calgary, it'll be at um, 6 p.m. your time, I'm pretty sure. Um, So you can just sign up there and you'll get a link to join us virtually and we'll look forward to having you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time this morning. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dr. Catherine Smart, pediatrician and president of the Canadian Medical Association. Calgary's workforce representative of the diverse makeup of our city and what do businesses need to do to attract a a more diverse, a more multicultural workforce. Joining us this month, as she does every month, to help us explore these questions and more is Deborah Yedlin, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Good morning, Deborah. Thanks for being with us again. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, so how does Calgary compare, would you say, to other municipalities, for example, when it comes to hiring minority groups and attracting diversity? Well, you know, we have a really great place to start from because we are the third most diverse city in the country. We have 140 languages spoken. There's 28% of Calgarians are born outside Canada. So I would say that we have a great base to start from. Are we seeing everybody represented in the workforce uh, the way the diversity suggests it should be? Probably not. We have a ways to go. And it's interesting because, you know, we talk a lot about ESG metrics, environmental, social and governance. The focus tends to be on environment, but the social and governance piece is very, very important. And that, that sort of goes to that, the equity, diversity and inclusion initiatives that we need to really focus on and be more deliberate about. When you talk about being deliberate, Deborah, it's interesting because if you, if you have a business, whatever size it might be, and you're, you're hiring and you don't have that reflection of, of, of minorities and diversity within your business, obviously doing the same thing isn't going to, to help you. So, so no. what, what sorts of tactics and what sort of advice do you give businesses to change that up and get that result that you're looking for? So what we suggest is that businesses should set targets and be accountable to those targets. And I think sometimes people think, well, you know, it's only for big companies because they have the resources and they can do this more deliberately. Everybody can make a difference. It doesn't matter how big or small your business is. So we, you know, you set targets, you're accountable, and then you look at internal practices and perhaps you understand where your unconscious bias, biases are within your organization. And we have a lot of companies that are starting to do that. We have the not-for-profit sector that's really supporting that, whether it's the Calgary Foundation, Action Dignity, the Women's Center. And, you know, I think one of the things we forget to do is also talk to our next generation of employees, the millennials are very focused on this and they have a different, uh, more inclusive view of how this should look. And they're a resource to access in terms of perhaps how companies might want to approach uh, broadening their and really committing to this equity, diversity and inclusion practice. Deborah, I was surprised when you just said that, that our, our Calgary is the third most diverse city in the country. I'm proud of that as a Calgarian. That is really great to hear. So are there sectors here in our workforce, in our city, that, that do a better job than others of attracting professionals from diverse backgrounds, for example? I think that uh, we have needed to do that 
because, you know, we've needed talent to come and work in the energy sector, in the tech sector. I wouldn't, I don't, wouldn't say that anybody's better than, than, uh, you know, any one sector is doing a better job. I, I, unfortunately, when we look at the, um, you know, from a from the perspective of women on boards and in senior management roles, if you just want to focus on the gender piece, we still have a long way to go. And unfortunately, the energy sector still is is running to so, to fill that sort of talent pipeline to make sure that women do rise uh, to the top of the executive ranks and are included on the boards. And the tech sector is actually struggling to do the same thing. So I think we have to be. That's why we actually have to be more deliberate in Calgary to look at the resources that we need to support the uh, the businesses because really there's an economic imperative here. Not only is it because it, you are more inclusive. You, there's an economic imperative from the perspective that when you do have that cultural diversity uh, on executive teams, including gender diversity, broadly speaking, diversity, your company does better. You're 33% more pro- more likely to have leading profitability. So there's the economic piece. And the other thing is that it really will boost economic growth, broadly speaking, in the country. And so I think what we have to do is make sure that everybody has a seat at the table and yep. that everybody can be included. Mm-hmm. And I, I, if you don't see yourself, you don't. If you don't see yourself in the executive ranks, then that's a problem. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. I was just thinking, uh, you know, while you were talking there, Deborah, in the sense that it's such a different time. You want to attract this diversity. You want this, you know, a, a, a workforce that, that represents what our city looks like. But it's an interesting time because if, if they want to come work with you, a lot of the times this is the pandemic. They might not even be coming into the office yet. So they don't even know what that office might look like, but they might accept a job with your company. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the uh, challenge that everybody's facing right now, because your corporate culture is is very different in two dimensions than it is in three. And really to make sure that everybody can feel welcome um, in a workplace is is far more challenging. And I would argue that this is one of the bigger challenges that companies are going to face going forward. How do you keep that corporate culture? How do you build it? How do you rebuild it? And how do people feel comfortable and welcomed uh, in the company that they've come to work for? And certainly, as we look to fill the talent needs that we have in Calgary specifically, we know how many tech jobs are not are, go, are still vacant. So, you know, if you can represent as a, an, a diverse company that welcomes everybody to the table across the board, um, age, ethnicity, experience, LGBTQ2+, uh, then you're going to actually, that's a competitive advantage for your company. Because people want to come and work for a place that is seen to be welcoming people with diverse backgrounds and talents. Great information. Thanks again for joining us. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for having me. Deborah Yedlin is the president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. You can get more and get more help from them, calgarychamber.com. Financial literacy is one of the most fundamental skill sets that can ensure women and families are able to thrive. Today, there is a 30-minute live webinar available to you. It's called Developing Good Financial Habits for 2022. To tell us more about it this morning is Esther Elder, Manager of Transitional Housing and Economic Prosperity at Calgary's YW. Good morning, Esther. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sue and Andy, and thank you for having me. For those who might not know, tell us a little bit about the great work the YW does and why you find it important to offer these financial information courses for women. Absolutely. So YW Calgary, for more than a century, has focused on making Calgary a place where women and girls are safe and have opportunity and choices. What we notice is over the past several years, we're seeing a different type of client really looking for our assistance beyond those who arrive at our door for shelter or emergency supports. It's really women who are looking to grow their skills and confidence to make choices for their future. So we began to deepen our focus on helping women make their own choices that allow them to succeed in 
prosper economically. And it's really to empower women to pursue their ambitions and participate equally and meaningfully at all levels of economic decision-making, which is where we really formally, more formally launched our Women's Economic Prosperity uh, Department and team. Esther, what's interesting to me is when you talk about, you know, financial security and, you know, getting on the right path, financial literacy, more and more today, and it's something we've covered on the program, we're seeing these ads to, hey, get into cryptocurrency, get into Bitcoin in, in these different paths you can take. But what you underscore here is practical strategies to, re, you know, achieve financial goals. Can you give us an example of a practical strategy? Yeah, absolutely. So economic and financial skills are really key for women to build a lifetime of stability and confidence in their futures. And we partner with other experts such as Momentum to deliver um, our financial literacy programs and host webinars and workshops. I would say when we're looking at cryptocurrency, there is a lot of information out there. And one of the things that we're really happy to do is really curate that information and make it relevant and digestible for women to really see how does this work for me. Um, it's really important to know the basic fundamental rules of investing, and we teach that to women as well. You know, really, in order for us to support women to thrive in a safe and equitable community, we have to recognize and realize that financial and economic empowerment is key to a lifetime of sustainability and strength. Esther, locally here in Calgary, what kind of barriers would you say women are facing particularly, and has it been exacerbated by the pandemic? Mm, great question, Sue. You know, Calgary Chamber released earlier this week their submission to the Alberta government budget, and it highlights that certain segments of our population have felt the impact of the pandemic more acutely than others, particularly based on gender and race. You know, we know that women have seen higher job loss and reduction than men during the pandemic. Um, and last year, we know that unemployment rate for women aged 25 to 54 increased almost 3% compared to 1% um, increase for men. So our focus on women is very intentional. We know that we want women to be checking this out. Uh, let's talk about the age bracket and who you expect to, to be taking advantage of this, Esther. Yeah, we're looking at our, we, we target women who are 18 and older. Um, that's not to say that we also don't have participants for younger women, ones who are um, in high school. And I think really that, that's key when we get to work with schools and, and students to really prepare them because the goal isn't just to um, provide intervention services, you know, once somebody is economically disadvantaged or living in poverty and how can we help them get out of that. It's really to prevent this from happening in the first place by providing financial literacy and skills that they need. Well, Esther, thanks so much. We're going to direct people to ywcalgary.ca. Just click on their events page and then scroll down to the calendar. You'll see all the great things that are going on, as well as today's webinar at noon, half hour long, easy peasy to jump on and really learn a lot about getting some good financial habits for the new year. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate yeah. it. Fabulous. Thanks for having me. Thank Bye -bye. you. Esther Elder, Manager of Transitional Housing and Economic Prosperity at the YW. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.